So if you haven't been with us, very quickly, we've been looking at Jesus' command. Um, It's in Mark chapter 12 that he says this, uh, where he commands us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our strength. And so most of you probably know, but that's taken from Deuteronomy 6. Uh, verses four and five. It's called the Shema. That's what Jesus is quoting. We sang part of it this morning. And what we've discovered along the way in this whole journey is that not only Jesus, but the apostles and the prophets uh, who came before him believed that this statement uh, meant something. And that's why they pray it twice a day and sometimes more than twice a day. Um, but it's also been interesting to discover how they understood this and what it meant to them versus maybe the views that we've had in sort of our Western upbringing. The Eastern version of this is a little bit different in our understanding than our Western version. And so again, let's look at it just real quick. Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your might. And so all of our hearts, right, that was giving God every, you know, he gave us everything. That's how we started this. He gave us everything. Uh, The Lord is one and all of that oneness is given to his people. And he gave us himself and he pledged all of who he is to us in this covenant relationship, right? But his expectation is that he requires the same from us. He requires us to be all in in that relationship. It's a decision of devotion, we called it. And then the second part of that was all of our soul. And it kind of connects to that first part in understanding having both God-given aspects of who we are, both our flesh and our spirit, surrendered to God completely for him to do with what we will in service to him. Uh, And even in death, we talked about that very briefly. And then we come to, for our final one in this series, all of our might is what we're going to be discussing. And so the idea is that we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul and with all of our might or meodica is the word that's used there, the Hebrew word. And literally this phrase means with all of your very or all of your muchness, which I think is just the coolest. So all of your muchness. I'm going to love God with all of my muchness, whatever that is. The Bible glossary says that it means exceedingly or much in force or abundance. And in most of our Bibles, this is traditionally translated as strength or might. And in fact, in Mark 12, those two words, I think, are put right next to each other. And the main reason that that happens is because they were trying to translate Hebrew into Greek and give it the force that it needed to have. And they didn't have quite the words for it, so they stacked two right next to each other. So that's what's going on there. But what is meodica? Is that like straining with all of your being, right? Is that like, like if, if you remember the 80s, I think they're still around actually. You might remember the power team. Does anybody remember the power team? Where you had all these super muscular guys that would come to your church and they'd tear stuff up for Jesus basically. Seriously, it would like be an evangelism tool. Hey, we're gonna go out in your parking lot. We're gonna rip phone books in half and then we're gonna tell people about Jesus. All these feats of strength and things, right? So is that loving the Lord your God with all of your might? Well, it could be. I mean, that could be, that might be one aspect of it, right? All of our effort could be one of the things that we would say. And I think that that would be true. But there's another thing that's going on here. And this is one that'll probably be surprising maybe for some of you. But the word, the root word, or the first part of that word there is a word called meod, and it can also mean property. And so what the Jewish people came to believe is that this meant with all of your wealth or all of your possessions, which is kind of interesting. So 
Jesus has this famous encounter that actually illustrates this point of view, and it takes place in Mark's account of Jesus' life, and that's in chapter 10. And we're going to begin with verse 17. And so if you want to check the parallel stories, I'd like to put those up for you. You can see the same story in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel. But here's how it goes. So you have Jesus, and he was setting out on this journey, and this man runs up and he kneels before him and he asks him, Good teacher, what must I do to accept eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And so I want to give you one note on this particular sentence because sometimes it can cause confusion. Uh, some have taken this sentence to mean Jesus is saying something to the effect of, well, you shouldn't be calling me good because only God is good and I am not God. That's not what Jesus is saying. I want to be very clear. Instead, what Jesus is doing is from the very onset of this conversation, the very beginning of this conversation, he's challenging this man to consider who he really is and whether indeed he may even be more than an ordinary human being. And this proves a point, not in, only in the story, but I think to us. This is important for us to consider. What we believe about who Jesus is will affect how we live. And we're going to see that illustrated in the story. But what we believe, what you and I believe about who Jesus is will affect how we live. And so this is where the conversation really starts with all of humanity. Right? You've probably heard that phrase, liar, lunatic, or Lord. You have to choose one of those things to describe Jesus, and your choice will affect how you live your lives. Well, it's true. Jesus is the way, and we will not progress until we're willing to walk in that way, in his way. And so that's how this goes. What we believe about who Jesus is, is will, it will affect how we live. So we continue in Mark, uh, verse 19. Jesus says to him, You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. This is another key to the conversation. And these are found in Exodus 20 and then in Deuteronomy 5. But notice all of the commandments, all of the things that Jesus is pointing out. And by the way, the do not defraud is actually two of the commandments combined. Um, what Jesus is pointing out here, all of these have to do with one thing interpersonal relationships. These are all relationships with other people and the choices that we make and how those impact those relationships. So he's basically asking the man this question. Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Because it's all about people, right? In Paul's letter to the Romans, he gives us even more insight into what Jesus was saying to this young man. And uh, there's a, a writer and a theologian, his name was David Stern. I love the way that he interprets this passage in the complete Jewish Bible. And if you're not familiar with what that is, it's a simply a translation of the Bible that sought to uh, bring the Jewishness back into scriptures. Uh, he was a Jewish believer, and uh, what he wanted to do was to help Jews and Christians understand uh, the framework and really the roots of where our faith begins. And so one of the things he will do is he'll actually restore the Hebrew names and things like that. And so this is his translation. It's in the complete Jewish Bible. If you don't have that and you want to check it out, if you have version app, it's on there and it's on some of the other ones online. So it's in Romans 13 and here's what he says. Don't owe anyone anything except to love one another. For whoever loves his fellow human being has fulfilled Torah. For the commandments, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, and any others are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not do harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fullness of Torah. And there's a reason that I wanted to share this particular translation with you. When I come to that statement there, Love does not do harm to a neighbor. I have to pause. 
Like that stops me in my tracks. If I hear love your neighbor as yourself, well, sometimes that's easy for me because sometimes we don't love ourselves that much, right? It's like, well, <laughs> that's easy because I, right? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, you get, you, you get it, right? You're with me? So love your neighbor. We've heard it so many times that we just blaze right through that roadblock and we go on to the next thing. And, but when I read this, that love means doing no harm to a neighbor. That's something. That gives me pause. And the bigger picture, I think, of that, you know, we can ask the question, just like people did back then, well, then who's my neighbor? Then we've got to define that. Well, who is that? And of course, Mr. Rogers gave us the answer, your neighbor is everyone, okay? Everybody's your neighbor. And so that means true love, real love, is, not, is, is really avoiding doing harm to any of your neighbors. And that's a tall order. And that's a very, very big challenge. Um, our lives are actually made up of relationships. And this is the founding principle of all relationships, not doing harm to your neighbor. And so in February, actually, just a quick commercial, uh, this, uh, starting next week, we're going to take a look at relationships. And we're going to talk about uh, all those facets of our relationships. And we're going to try and cover a lot uh, in four weeks, but it's going to be really good. And so one of the things that I've done, some of you have asked uh, for cards and mechanisms, ways to invite people. And statistics show that if you ask someone personally, someone that you know, say, hey, there's something that's happening at church. Uh, would you come with me? 80% of the time, they will say yes. And so what I did is I made you little Valentines, just like you used to have back in school. And I got you tiny envelopes too. And so what I would like you to do, now this might be kind of weird for some of you guys, so you'll have to do a lot of explaining before you hand it to maybe one of your male friends, but um, you basically put this little guy in here and write somebody's name on it. And right now, I bet every one of us has at least one person in our lives that we can think of, I mean, besides ourselves, that need to be here to hear about relationships. I mean, we all need help in that area. And so your goal is to take one of these guys with you and they'll be at the door as you leave. Uh, Give this to somebody, somebody in your life saying, hey, there's something that's going on at church. It's really special. I would love for you to be a part of it. We're going to talk about relationships and it would be really cool. And, and, and you could even say, and I'll buy you lunch afterwards. That would be a great way, you know, to do that. So commercial done. There you go. Um, so back to our verse. So Jesus is challenging this man and he just said, you know, this whole thing that I talked about with Paul and all of that. And then, you know, you know, the commandments and he goes through that. And then he says back to Jesus, listen, teacher. I've kept these since my youth. Like since I was a little kid, I've been doing these things. And Jesus looking at him, it says, loved him. So we learn a couple more things here. Mark gospel is the only report of this encounter that gives us some insight on what Jesus is thinking. Uh, that loved him line is not present in those other two that I shared with you earlier. When I've heard this taught growing up, I've always, I've always kind of heard it taught as like the, Jesus gives the guy the backhanded slap. It's like, you need to, you know, it's like, I don't believe that you kept all the commandments, right? That's sort of how I've, I've, taught it, I've heard it taught before. But that's not what's happening, I believe, in the scripture. What I believe is happening here is that Jesus really does love this guy. And that not only that, Jesus doesn't have an agenda in that love. Jesus, notice, he doesn't debate with the guy that he's kept the commandments. And if anyone would know, I think it would be Jesus, right? We see that other times where people will say something to him about what they've done and it's untrue and he'll actually call him on it, right? 
So I interpret this, I believe that Jesus actually believes that this guy isn't lying, that he has kept the commandments to the best of his ability, and that Jesus loves him. And the word that's used for love here is this word agape. And so it can mean a few things. It can mean to take pleasure in someone, as in Jesus was proud of him in this moment. And I believe that that's true. But it can also mean to want what's best for someone else, expecting nothing in return. And I believe that that's also true. And we know that later when Jesus prioritizes the commandments, right? And he says, loving God is top and then loving your neighbor as yourself is is the next one. When he prioritizes those, he's like, listen, this is the standard that we're all supposed to live by. And so we have this moment where he's here with this man. The man says, I've kept the commandments and Jesus loves him. He's like, that's awesome. But Jesus says this, verse 21. You lack one thing then, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. And disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, I don't know if that means his stuff was great or if he had a lot, probably both actually. So here you have this man, Jesus like, hey, that's great. Listen, here's what you gotta do, this. You gotta sell it all give it to the poor and come and follow me. And the guy is upset and he walks away sad. David Stern again points out, and this is in his commentary, that throughout history, Jewish writers, we're talking about Jewish writers that aren't Messianic believers, but Jewish writers that were critical of Jesus, would often say that he's actually stricter than the Torah because he makes you give everything and the Torah only requires us to give 10%. He's actually even more strict than the Torah. But David Stern has a great response for this. He says that a doctor does not ask all patients to take the same medicine. What does he mean by that? Well, Jesus was making known God's will for men, not God's will for men at all times in this moment, but his will specifically for this guy in this situation. Sometimes we can read through scripture and we can take a blanket application and think that every part of it we have to apply in certain ways. But we see that sometimes Jesus is simply speaking to a situation and the same with Paul and the same with others. And so uh, the guy becomes very, very sad. And here's why. Because Jesus was making God's will for this man known to him. He was illuminating. He said, listen, this is the Father's will for you. You need to sell your stuff and you need to give it to the poor and then you need to come with me. What's crazy about this is if you think about it, this is actually an invitation to be a disciple. He's inviting this man to be a part of the inner circle. He's like, listen, follow me. He's issued the same request to many others and some took him up on it, right? We probably have loads of history where he offered this to people and they said no in other times too. I mean, think about Matthew, right? The tax collector, the guy that had a lot to lose by doing this and he jumped in and did it. So this is an invitation. Jesus say, listen, come with me. That's awesome. You know the commandments. I need you on my team. Come with me. So Jesus lays out God's will for this man. But the deal is this, his attachment to wealth was an obstacle to God's will for him. That was the issue. It was his attachment to wealth. And so Jesus challenges all of us to love God with all of our strength. And I believe that his understanding would have been with all of our wealth or with all of our possessions. So what does this mean? You're probably thinking in your head, okay, so does this mean I need to sell all my stuff and give away the money? Is that what you're saying? Well, the short answer is maybe. I think this is the question. This is the question that we're really asking. What does it look like for us to love God with all of our strength. If we believe this to be true, 
this interpretation, what does that look like? If we want to draw closer to God, we have a choice. We have a choice to make. And if we look back at that word that's used for might or for strength in this definition, I think the interpretation would be with all of your wealth or abundance. But along with that, there's some other things to think about. And so then the question, of course, that I ask is wealth? (laughs) Right? You with me? You feel me on this one? Where do I go with that, right? But I started to think about that. And we've talked about this before, but I've never really thought about this application for it. And it's this. All of us, each one of us, every person in this room has three resources. We all do. We have time and we have talent and we have treasure. They're all starting with T's to help you remember them. We're going to take a look at each one and try and figure out how these apply to what Jesus is asking for when he, uh, we should love God with all of our might in regard to time, talent, and treasure. So we're going to begin with time. Loving the Lord with all of our might means loving him with all of our time. Every person living on this planet right now, whether you're in this room or you're on the other side of the world, you all have something in common, and it's this. You have the same amount of time in every day. You're like, no, you don't know my schedule. I'm not talking about schedules. I'm saying just your allotment, what you're given every day to start with, every one of us has the same amount of time. It's true. No more, no less. It's how we allocate that time. That's where we run into our problems, right? Psalms 31 says this about time. It says, but I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Our time is a gift from God every second, every hour, every day. Often when Jewish people uh, wake up in the morning, they will pray a prayer that has to do with thanking God for the fact that their eyes opened that morning. That's a pretty cool prayer. That kind of gratefulness is what we need. And so our time is a gift from God, and yet so often we treat it like sharing it with him is a burden. Oh, I gotta get up and pray. Right? Right? Hit the snooze one more time, three more times. I think that's why it's so important that we have to remember that love is always the motivating factor. In everything that God did for us, it's not like we're paying him back, okay? I want to be really clear about that. It's not this obligation, well, I have to pray because, you know, God did all this cool stuff for me. So, you know, I don't want my count to be sort of out of balance. All the stuff that God did for you was a gift. His son was a gift. His love is a gift. He loves because he is love. It just is what he is. So he loves you. There's nothing you can do to earn that because you already got it. And so the motivating factor for what God does is love. He wants relationship with us. That's how it's been from the very beginning. He just wants relationship with us. And so to me, that should change the way that we view our time, but especially our time with him. It's like he just wants to work on this relationship. He wants to get to know us better and us to be able to express our hearts to him. And he wants to be able to say some things to us too. And so that time is critical for that. James 4 reminds us that we have no idea what our tomorrow will bring, right? We can make all these plans. We can say, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go to this town. I'm going to make these business plans. I'm going to do this. This is my goal. Goals, all that stuff is great. But at the end of the day, if your time's up, your time's up, right? 
you're done. And so we have no idea what our time will bring. And each of us has responsibilities that demand our time. I get it, right? Uh, we have work. If you're a working person, you might have school, uh, families, relationships, uh, the pursuit of interests and hobbies, all that stuff. And listen, all of those things are great. Those are all gifts from God. But if we are supposed to live lives that are wholly devoted to God, what he's asking for with all of our might, with all of our, our time, right? He's asking that he be the first priority and then everything else fall underneath that. And so many times, even in my life, that gets out of whack. It's way more than just a few hours on Sunday and the extra occasional thing or two. This is about making our relationship with God the priority and then structuring everything else around that. And that's easier said than done. So Jesus says to us today, you lack one thing. Go and take all of the time that you have outside your current responsibilities and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Time can be the hardest thing to give. It's a lot easier for some people to write a check. We see that all the time in not-for-profit type situations where someone would much rather, instead of going to serve somebody, they would rather just fund that thing. And just to be clear, we'll take either one of those. But I think that there's a great pleasure. There's great pleasure. We're called to be servants. That's what we were created to do. And so if we want to draw closer to God, it takes time. Every relationship does, right? You don't just instantly like, I mean, yeah, you might meet someone and have that instant moment of chemistry. Oh, right. From across the room. I looked into her eyes and I knew, right, or whatever. But the relationship itself requires conversations, getting to know that person. That's, that's half the fun of a relationship. And so the challenge for 2019 is more time with God, investing in daily habits like prayer and Bible study, investing in relationships here in this community, in Desperation Church. Community groups, we're starting small groups this fall. That would be an opportunity. Uh, men's and women's events, youth and student ministries and children, all of that stuff. And so... The challenge for you, something to think about, is maybe to consider what area this year regarding your time will you take a step for God? And this is just for you to consider. What area will you take a step to draw closer to God? All of our time comes from him. And he has the long view on eternity, right? He kind of sees the whole thing. So it's kind of arrogant of us to be stingy about what we give him with our time. It's like, well, you know, I, it's like, you know, I, I can kind of see all of it. I kind of know how this all wraps up. Maybe you should trust me. Uh, Ephesians 5.15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So there we go, that's time. Next is talent. Loving the Lord with all of our might means loving him with all of our talent. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 12, four through six talks about these God-given abilities that each of us has that we can share with other people. Uh, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So you might think to yourself, yeah, that's great. I love that you're talking about talent. I'm off the hook on that because I don't have any. I couldn't carry a tune if it had handles, right? You ever heard that one? <laughs> couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, that guy, right? We're talking about so much more than uh, seeing you're playing an instrument in worship or teach all the things that people see maybe out in front. They're like, yeah, I can never do that. But listen, every one of you 
Each one of you has at least one thing and probably many, many more that God's placed in you that not only are things that you're good at, but things that you actually are passionate about that he could use for the kingdom. He created all of us individual and different and he calls all of us to be the body and we don't need all ears, right? We need ears and noses and feet and toes and hands and knees. Like we need all of that for the body to function the way that it should. And so you might think that that talent is insignificant, but nothing is insignificant in the kingdom. First Peter 4.10, each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That's a good one. Our church community is the place where these gifts come into play. And I used to call this place kind of a laboratory. You know, this is our worship laboratory. And the reason I use that word sometimes is because I want us to remember that this is an experiment. None of us have all of this down. Uh, There are no experts in the kingdom. We're all walking together and we're trying to follow Jesus as the best that we can. And so this is more, um, using these gifts is more than maybe a missions event or a Desperation Church Without Walls event where we go out and serve. So the challenge for 2019 is, I think for all of us, but especially for this community, one of the things we're focusing on and one of the things I'm asking you to do is to dig into this community at a deeper level than you did in 2019. And you might be saying to yourself, well, dude, I already do everything around here, Valerie Brown. I hear you saying that. I can hear you saying it. I'm just teasing. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. She's awesome. Um, Listen, she is the grace that keeps the wheels moving around here. And I'm not kidding about that. It's awesome. So getting into community at a deeper level, what does that mean, Pastor Bill? Like, what are you asking of me exactly? Well, we have this wall back there that says, say yes on it. And it has all of this really cool stuff and you can go there and you can pull something and you can read through them. It's like, oh yeah, I, would, I could do this. I could, I could totally help out with kids or I could totally uh, greet people when they come in the door. Or maybe you're the person that's like, no, I, until I have four coffees, I'm not even ready to talk to human beings. That would be a bad place for me to be. That's fine. There's something else for you to do. And maybe you look at that board and you're like, I don't see anything on here that fits me. We have so many things happening right now, ministries in this church, and the only reason they exist is because someone came forward and said, hey, I see this need. I see this place where we could be doing this, and people need it. It's something that's important. And usually our response is, that's awesome. When will you start to lead that? Because usually the people that notice the need are the people that have the passion for that thing. And that's what this is about, employing people in the kingdom, getting them going on the things that God's put in them that are important to their hearts. And so I would just ask you that if you pull something off that say yes wall and you try it, stick to it for a while. Give it a shot, see how it goes. And maybe you do it for a while and you're like, you know what? I just decided that I hate coffee, so the coffee bar really isn't a great place for me. If that doesn't fit, don't quit, man. Try something else. Go to Pastor John and say, hey, I tried this. It's not really working for me. Is there something else I can do? There's lots of things that you can do and we all need each other. And so Jesus says to us today, you lack one thing. Go and take all the talent that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. We grow closer to the Lord when we love him and his people with the things that we were made to do. And all you have to do is get somebody start, you know, get someone started talking about something that they're passionate about. And real quick, it's obvious. Okay, that, that means a lot. I never wanted to hear that much about programming in my life, but obviously he's passionate about that. I love that. I love that passion in people. And there's a place for all those things in the kingdom. 
So the last one we have is treasure. Loving the Lord with all our might means loving him with all of our treasure, our wealth and our resources. Okay, and so maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't, but if you go through all of scripture where Jesus speaks, one of the things that you will discover is that he talks more about money than anything else. Really? More about money than love? Yes. More, I mean, you can add possessions to that money and possessions more than anything. So when Jesus asks this rich young man to sell everything, his point was to move him beyond any barrier that would control his life. That was the thing. It had, the money itself was not the issue. It wasn't that Jesus was trying to stock the coffers. In fact, what he said was go and give it to the poor, right? Go help God's people. So you have this moment where he asks this man to sell everything because he wants to move him beyond this barrier that controls his life. Luke 6.38 says this. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it will be measured back to you. And so throughout scripture, we see something that comes up over and over again. It's this, that generosity is this vehicle for spiritual growth for God's people. Time and time again, we see this. If you uh, look in the book of Acts at the very beginning of what God was doing with his people, bringing them together as this uh, church, one of the hallmarks of those people was the joy that they had. And not only that, but the way that they loved and served each other to the point of selling their possessions if there was a need within their community. And that stood out. Like in this Greco-Roman world that they were all uh, trucking in, people saw that and they're like, I don't know what is up, but those guys, something real is happening there because of the way that they love each other. The other thing that I think Jesus knows about us is that we tend to love and we tend to trust money more than we trust God for our provision. We're not as concerned maybe about putting the risk out there as we are about checking the 401k to make sure that the numbers still look good. And if you've looked lately, they don't. Um, I think that is why Jesus is so diligent about bringing this issue to our attention. He's very diligent about it because he knows that this is the struggle over and over again, right? Listen, God loves these little birds and he gives them food and places to live. And look at the feathers he covered them in so they'd be warm. If he takes such good care of these tiny little creatures, you're creating his image. How much more is he not going to take care of you, right? So giving back to God is this regular expression of worship. And it's not only important, but of course it's a commandment. And we go to Malachi for that. Most of you have read this before. Uh, chapter three, verse 10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. So God promises to bless us. And this isn't the promise of a Cadillac or anything like that, right? Because we've all heard that, haven't we? Well, if you just give, if you just give your $5 and then you touch this prayer circle in the middle of this poster, I guarantee you tomorrow there will be a Cadillac parked on your front step. That's not true and that's not what scripture says. When Jesus talks about all that stuff, he's saying the Father will provide for our needs. I don't know many people that need a Cadillac. Maybe you do, I don't know, but... God promises to bless us. There's actually a famous quote by John Wesley, uh, pretty much a theologian of Christian history, started the Wesleyan movement, all of that. Um, here's what he says. The question is not how much of my money will I give to God, but how much of God's money will I keep for myself? Yikes. I read that. I was like, wow. Get him, John. So, 
Listen, Jesus tells us that when we give, we're investing in the kingdom of God. He also tells us that that kingdom is the only thing that will last into eternity. And so there's something about thinking, if you're thinking just on the investment level, and you're like, okay, I can invest in these things that aren't going to last. Everything's going to fade to dust or burn. Like as soon as a child is born, they're immediately starting to uh, go downhill from there. They're decomposing. Did you know that? Like literally the cells from the moment we come out of the room, okay, it's on. Now we're just heading to death. That's a sobering thing. Aren't you excited to hear that today in church? Woo! Now listen, I think the point is this, right? We know that. We know our mortality. The point is, what are we going to do with this life that we have that's going to matter? And so Jesus is saying, listen, when we invest, and not just money, but when we invest our time and our talent in the kingdom, that's going to last. That's going to make a difference. That's going to echo on into eternity. And I think even on the other side of eternity, there's going to be some kind of thing or some way that that plays out. It's important. We're develop- there's a spiritual development that's happening, and I don't think it's just for this world. And so everything material will fade, but God and his word and his kingdom are things that are going to last forever. And just in case you didn't know, God and his word and his kingdom are the things that Desperation Church are about, right? His kingdom, loving God, loving other people. We're investing in eternity. These are the things that Jesus was about too. Proverbs 3, verses 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And I know that last part gets some of you guys really excited. Wine's actually a symbol for joy though, okay? So, um, which is cool because what that tells us, I think especially in that early church in Acts, one of the questions, are these guys drunk? They're so joyful. Are they drunk? No, they were just filled with God's spirit and the joy that they had to be together. I think that this is what seeking his kingdom first looks like, a joy. It's not this begrudging gift. It's not having to pry that $5 bill out of somebody's hands. It's not like Scrooge McDuck sitting there in the middle of the aisle, right? Give me the coin, Scrooge, right? No, that's not what it is. What God's saying is we should be generous people, that uh, our lives should be generous, every single part of them, whether it's our time, whether it's our possessions. I mean, how many of us have known people where in, that impacted our life? Like, I bet every one of us remembers someone in our lives that was one of those people that if you asked them for something, they would give it to you, whatever it was. It's like, hey, man, I like that watch. Oh, cool, do you want it? I had a friend in high school that was like that. He got taken advantage of a lot but he was always happy. He was always joyful. And so I think the idea here is that we should be generous people and that the Bible emphasizes that we should give from the heart all that we're able to. And so beyond the tithe, the proportions of how much uh, each of us have to give may be different from person to person, right? You have that moment where Jesus is watching uh, the widow and she puts basically all that she has in that offering box and he uses it as this huge teaching lesson for the kingdom because the disciples are kind of, there's a picture there where it's, they're kind of like, well, that's not going to matter that much. And he's like, listen, to her, that was it. That was everything. And she's going to be blessed for that. And so he challenges us to love the Lord with all of our might. You lack one thing, go take all the treasure you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Again, our giving should be from this place of cheer and joy. But the, our eye is on fulfilling the work that Jesus has shown us, caring for those in need and leading others into the kingdom. And so I'm almost done here, but if you're a part of this community and you were at the business meeting or even if you weren't, but you've been watching the emails, you get that uh, there's a lot at stake here right now. 
And I'm not teaching this for that purpose. This is, we were headed into the Shema. I had no idea that this was going to be the end result of the word might until I got into studying it. But we have this moment here, I think, really within the first 90 days of this year that, that something's got to happen. And it doesn't mean that Desperation Church will go away or anything like that. But what it does mean is that it may look a lot different than it does right now. And so um, there's something that comes with that that may be scary, but I think there's something that comes with that that's awesome too. And here's why I say that, because we've been in this place for a while to varying degrees. And what I've seen is the spiritual growth of our people, all of us, take some notches up, right? Because when you're desperate, you pray, right? You pray maybe more than you would have. You're talking to God about those things. When you're desperate and there's a void or a lack, you have to step up and serve. You have to pitch in and do things. Right? And so I've been really, I don't know if proud's the right word, but I guess it is. I've been really proud of this community and the way that I've watched you guys take care of each other through this to take care of what God's doing here. And so I have a lot of hope. I believe God has big plans for this place. I don't think he would have told me all the sermon series for this year if he didn't have a plan for us to be around. So we're kind of in this interesting place where we get to love him and draw closer to him in 2019 and his people. And we can still live generous lives even when we feel like we don't have that much. And so in every case, with our time and our talent and our treasure, we have this opportunity. And this is what I want to wrap up with. Will we trust God enough to let go of what we have so that our hands are open to receive something better? Here's what I mean by that. When I very first started in ministry um, as a worship leader, uh, one of the most impactful things I read was this book um, by David Crowder, and it's called Praise Habit. And if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It doesn't matter who you are. This, this book's amazing. Um, but it's also really, really funny, and it's also weird because he's kind of a weird guy. And so I harmonize with all three of those things. Um, but one of the things he talks about a lot is this idea of living open-handed lives to God. And so what that means is this. And I feel like this has always been, as far as my ministry, what God has challenged me with is trying to live open-handed. Because what I tend to do is this. Uh, we've had people leave, for instance, and, and for good reasons too, right? Sometimes people leave uh, for bad reasons from churches, but lots of people just, they get a job somewhere else, they have to go, things happen. And I wanna do this, I wanna hold on. I wanna grab a hold of them, right? And say, no, no, you can't go. And God's like, listen, they don't belong to you, they belong to me. I don't know why he says it that way, but that's how he says it in my head. <laughs> Maybe to soften the blow or whatever. It's like, listen, open, they're mine. This is mine. This is mine. This is mine. All of this is mine, and, and you're a steward of it. You're just a steward. The talents that you have, the gifts that you have, the wealth that you have, the time that you have, you are a steward. Me, all of us, we're stewards of those things. And so anytime that God takes something out of our hands, and in my case, it was taking a ministry that I really loved. I loved being the worship and creativity pastor. Like it was my jam, right? It was, it was the sweet spot for me. All the things I love to do combined and I get to do them for Jesus. Wow, that's like a job description that I wrote for myself. It seems like it's because I did. Anyway, um, so we have this moment where God's challenging me to do something different. And I'm like this, no, I don't want to do that. I'm scared. Because the truth of the matter is, I throw in for this other thing, this lead pastor thing, and then that doesn't work or someone else gets it. I may not be able to go back and do this. 
most of the time it doesn't work out that way, especially if a new pastor comes in. And God, just open your hands. And so the truth of the matter is, guys, when we let go of something, when God says to give up something, when he takes something out of our hands, he always places something better in them. Always. It may not happen for a while. It may not look the way that you thought it would. And trust me, this does not look the way that I thought it would. But in so many ways, it looks better. And I love this. I do. I love you guys. You're so patient. Especially that first year and a half, two years. Ugh. Some of you are like, what about last week? <laughs> okay, last week too, fine. But none of us are perfect. None of us are experts. Jesus is the only expert, the only one that lived it perfectly. And we just get to follow along in his footprints, follow along with him and do our best. So anytime that we let go of something, and I'm not quoting that cheesy adage where if you love something, set it free. That's not what this is. This is a biblical principle that when God takes something out of your hands, lots of times he's handing that off, number one, to someone else who needs to do that. But he will put something in your hands that's even better and it's more meant for where he wants you to be in that moment. This is all training. It's all moving forward in discipleship. Living open-handed. And the great thing about living open-handed is when your hands aren't full, you can do this lots. Right? Which is what he wants. He wants worship. He wants our lives to be worshiped. So loving the Lord with all of our might, guys, is making him a priority in our lives. Being generous in the way that we give him our time and our talent and our treasures. And that's what it's about. That's what this walk is about. That's what Jesus calls us to do. That's what the challenge is for this year. And God doesn't ask us to do things we're not capable of either, which is kind of cool because that would be mean, really, if you think about it. Wouldn't it? Would you guys bet your hearts with me? God, thank you so much. And God, I just, I want to pray that, um, I don't know, just the parts of what we talked about today that you really want people to respond to. I pray that those would be the things that they would remember as this week moves forward. The areas that you want to challenge us in, uh, even the areas that you're already stretching us in, God, and maybe places where we feel like we cannot be stretched anymore because we're going to break. We know that ultimately you're a good father and that you love us and that you always have our best intentions in mind. So I pray, even within this room, God, if there are folks that are here that are depressed or discouraged, if there are folks that are here uh, that are struggling so much with regular life that they can't even imagine adding anything to it, I just pray that you would speak through all of that chaos of our lives and that you would give each of us clear direction on how we're to respond to you, how we're, we're, we're supposed to respond in opening our hands and letting go of things so that you can put better things, uh, things that please you, things that glorify you, things that are worshiped to you uh, in our hands. God, I pray that we would be able to love you with every bit of who we are, whether it's uh, the time that we spend, uh, the, the talents that we have, but then also, God, the things that you've trusted us with and given us. So again, I pray that that would just be made real for each person here, everyone that can hear my voice, that you show us exactly what it is that you want us to do. And I just want to say, God, that we love you and we trust you. We trust your will. We trust that you have uh, our best interests in mind and what you want to do with Desperation Church in your kingdom. And we just want to say that wherever you lead, we will go. 
thank you for this day. Thank you for these people. And it's all in your name. Amen. A couple more things. Again, I want to remind you of these as you're leaving. If you would uh, grab at least one of those and give that to somebody, that'd be great. Next week is baptisms. And so maybe something that you heard today, you're like, you know what? I think it's time. That's going to be my response. I need to be baptized. And maybe you've been baptized before. It's okay to do that again and make that commitment. But basically what baptism is, is you are saying uh, not only to the folks here within this community, but to the world and to the enemy, listen, I stand for God. I stand for something. There's been a change in my life and I want to, I want to take a step, a visual step, a physical step to show that the old me is now gone and dead and the new me has arisen in Jesus. That's really what baptism is. And so we fill up the baptizer. It's a lot of fun. When people come out of the water, everybody goes nuts. It's awesome. And so if that's something that you're considering, if you have questions about it, I'd love to answer those for you, but we'd love to get you on that list so that we know um, that you'll be here to do that and we can plan for it. And then the the other thing I want to mention is if you uh, are here for the first steps class, we'll be meeting in that room here in a little bit. I mean, you don't have to hurry, you know, 15 minutes or so and mingle and hang out with people. Uh, and if you need prayer too, there'll be a few of us up here in front and we would love to pray with you about anything that you have going on in your life. Love you guys. Have a great week.